Welcome to the Soccer File. Hi, I'm Simon Evans and welcome to the Soccer File. Well, in this episode, we're taking a look at the new Major League Soccer season, which gets underway this weekend. And I have a cracking panel of three MLS experts to discuss all the issues that surround this new 2017 MLS season. Joining me is Taylor Twelman, who you will know, of course, needs no introduction former centre-forward with the New England Revolution and the United States national team, and now lead analyst on soccer with ESPN. Ives Galachep of Gold.com and Soccer by Ives is a man who's really got his finger on the pulse of MLS, one of the best reporters out there covering the league. And David Gass joins us from MLSsoccer.com and Extra Time Radio, the podcast MLS puts together every week looking at the league. And David's somebody who really knows the ins and outs of this league and all the teams in it. So we'll start off this discussion by taking a look at the question of designated players, the three stars that are allowed to be signed by teams, largely with their salaries not under the salary cap. So, Ivers, we're seeing a number of the big-name players having left MLS this uh, off-season. Robbie Keane gone, Steven Gerrard, Frank Lampard, Didier Drogba, but we've seen 13 new designated players come into the league with an average age of 25, players coming from South America and Africa primarily. Is this a good thing for MLS? Oh, I think it's great. Uh, I mean, obviously, back when you could bring in a player like David Beckham who could move the needle on and off the field, uh, that was one thing, but I think over time it's getting tougher and tougher to find those type of transcendent players. And I think as a league, you want to be able to start signing younger and younger talents and, and players that not only can thrive in the league, but then who can move on from MLS and play overseas and and, and help the league's profile around the world, really, because not, not only will, will it help teams in terms of revenue, but it'll open the eyes of people around the world and players around the world that they know that this is a, this is a league they can come play in and it can help boost their career and move them on to, to, to bigger leagues around the world. Taylor, there's no doubt there's a lot of talent amongst those 13 new faces that have come into MLS. Which ones are you particularly keen to see? For me, and I'm going to put all three into one, I think it's Atlanta United. Because if Atlanta United, with those three young designated players, have real success and all three of them as a whole, have an impact. We've seen Orlando City do it in the past with young players, and let's be honest, Rivas and Rochez were disappointing. You, they went young, and so while right now they haven't played a game yet, and we all look at it and say it's exciting, if they have real success and Atlanta makes the playoffs and Martino has a real impact on developing players, then, Simon, I, I think that's the biggest storyline in Major League Soccer because then all of a sudden not only are you looking at three young designated players, but then you're also looking at a manager, a teacher of young players that can actually have success in this league. I think that moves the needle in a different direction in the next four or five years. Yeah, we'll get on to the expansion teams in a minute because there's a, there's a big buzz around Atlanta and it's, it's kind of overshadowing Minnesota a bit. But, Ivers, just to give you a chance on this one, which, which of these designated players is uh, turning you on, as it were? 
So I'll, I'll give you one guy, and that's Christian Coleman from the, the FC Dallas striker. Right. He's twenty three years. He's twenty three years old. He's highly regarded, and he's going. He's going to a team that's going to set him up for chances. I think he could have a huge year. And as a striker, a kind of young striker in terms of your in terms of worldwide age, twenty three is not super young, but it's young. If he has a monster year, monster two years, I could see him definitely making a move. Uh, and NYCFC with uh, was it Yangel Herrera is the guy who I think who mm. I, I'm. To give you another one, he's not a DP, but he's a guy I'm keeping an eye on. Or is he a DP? I mean, that's there's some confusion there, but he's well, he's one that I, I think could could really have a big year. Yeah, he's 19 year old, isn't he? On loan from Manchester City, and he's already played for for the Venezuelan national team at 19. So that's an exciting one. I'm interested in the guy Ring at New York City as well. He's not a DP, is he? Finished, yep. but 25 years old, coming from Kaiserslautern. I mean, these are signings that. You know, didn't didn't used to happen. He's an interesting one. Anybody know much about him? Well, Simon, but that's what I'm talking about. And those guys that you look around in Europe, and there's players that can be difference makers in this league that maybe used to have to be DPS that can be TAM level players or low level DPS. But you need guys like Taylor was saying to or to to talk about this league, right? And to tell guys like, oh, this is a good spot to go if you're going to get offered a contract. You get to live in Manhattan. You get to play at Yankee Stadium. That's worthwhile rather than fighting for this spot or not getting playing time here in Germany. Right. Okay, let's let's take a look at those expansion teams because, um, as I was saying, there's been such a buzz about Atlanta and, and we had Darren Eels on here and he talked about what they'd done to go through that remarkable process of building a club from scratch, which no one else in the world gets to do really apart from in this part of the world. And it's a, it's a fascinating process you can listen to it in the in the archives but Taylor they do seem to have ticked every button don't they I mean they've got the new stadium coming online they've sold 30,000 season tickets I mean are they just a, a hit waiting to happen in MLS I it's interesting because I was completely and I'm on record I still Atlanta as a sports city has always been a big question mark the Braves made the NLCS 15 straight years and they couldn't sell out a regular season game. The Hawks are playing LeBron James and the Cavs in the Heat, and they couldn't sell out a game. The Thrashers came into the NHL, and they didn't even last. We all know about the Falcons being up and down and whatnot. So when, and even some owners, to be honest with you, Simon, questioned Atlanta as an expansion city. So then all of a sudden, they get two years put together. They put together their group. There are 30,000 season tickets, and they go out and sign three big DPs, and yet I still don't think people are talking about the biggest move and I really believe it's Martino as a manager I think that when this league when you look at this league and Ivis and I have had some of these discussions off camera or off microphone and and not on the record of just looking at it we have a lot of managers in this league And, and rightfully so it's not a downgrade to it but how many teachers do we have and here I am preparing for an MLS opening weekend game with Tato Martino, you know what I'm saying? Like those games with Patrick Vieira, I just wonder about those coaches being quote-unquote teachers. What if Atlanta is successful? And then the word gets out that Atlanta went out and spent millions of dollars to get this type of head coach and this type of manager. That's the one that when I talk to scouts and agents and of all the – people around the game whether they're in Europe or even here everyone is very interested to see how Martino does because if he is successful well now all of a sudden the owners in this league that are looking at ex-players in Major League Soccer turn coaches 
they may say, well, wait a minute here. If I open the checkbook a little bit and I go get out, you know, go get an experienced player and that X player that I'm looking at as a manager now, maybe I can give him time to learn. Well, now, guys, all of a sudden we're changing in the discussion of developing young players in this league and becoming an exciting league where there's different identities for the team. That's where I look at it. And I know Minnesota got started late, but my goodness, Atlanta opened that checkbook and they have clicked every single box, spent money. I'm telling you one thing, it's going to be an exciting team to follow. It is, isn't it? I mean, Ivers, it's an interesting point Taylor raises there about the coaches because there's been this attitude in the past that, well, you know, big-name coaches or coaches whose experience has been outside of MLS, um, they don't understand the league, they don't understand how things work. When I spoke to Darren, he said, well, first of all, before they even got the job, he had a dossier on every single team in, in MLS that he came to the job interview with, which might be a great way of making sure you get the job, but it also shows, I think, some, some genuine commitment to it. And, and also, you know, he's, he's surrounded by people... Um, at that club who do know MLS, right? So, I mean, is that argument a little bit out of date now, do you think? Well, I don't think one makes it out of date, but I think it, it, it's clear that what you need, if you're going to have someone uh, come in to the come in MLS who doesn't have any experience in the league, you need the right support system. You need a good general manager or technical director. You need uh, a good coaching staff that has an understanding of MLS. I mean, you need that around you. And I think in the past you've had some people maybe come into the league who didn't see the importance of those connections and and just right. thought, oh, you know, I can come in here and I'll just run things. And, I, and it, you know, it's like any other league, but it, it does have its intricacies. I think with Atlanta, I think with Atlanta, you know, it, it's clear Martino came in. And when you saw some of the signings that they made, even after he got the job, it was clear that he understood that there were things that Carlos Bocanegra knows and then Paul McDonough knows about right. the league and about building a roster and he let them make some signings that, you know, you look at those, and you're like, these are signings of someone who knows the league. So I think that right there showed you that, that he has an open mind about about the whole thing. And and that's what you need. And I think in the past you haven't had that. You've had some guys come in who, who were a little close-minded. And and to Taylor's point, I think it's great to have some 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 fresh uh, minds and uh, some different viewpoints, some different minds. But when you when you have you can't have a league of twenty two coaches who are all the, like within five years age of each other yep. and who have yep. all come up and and learned from the same. It can't be twenty two guys who are either learned from Bob or Bruce or Siggy. I, I mean, it, it's great, but you need to you need that mix. You need that. Uh, pe- those people who who push the boundaries, a guy like Patrick Vieira, who even though he's inexperienced himself, he's a guy who came in and tried different things, and and that and you you want that, you need that. It's refreshing. Those flavors. It's refreshing. It yeah, and they look yeah. at players differently, don't they? They spot different players. We I mean, we saw that with Vieira a little bit with some of the players he he plucked out who'd been a little bit ignored perhaps elsewhere, and 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 you know they just they just notice different things than maybe a guy who's who's been watching MLS for for the last ten years. David, do you think? Um, Atlanta come into the league this year without that uh, low expectations that expansion teams traditionally have. Is it similar to when Seattle came into the league and people said, well, you know, you really expect them to be going uh, when they had Lundberg there and, and people were like, we expect them to get in the playoffs straight away. I mean, have Atlanta got that kind of pressure on them a little bit? I think they do. I think it could be an issue. I mean, I, they've checked every box except for the fact that none of these guys have ever played together. And a lot of these guys have never played in this league. And it's exciting, but you talk about how long it takes players to adjust. And then you look at Almiron and Alba and Joseph Martinez, and it's like, well, they're young. 
and they have to adjust to playing in the U.S. for the first time and adjust to playing in MLS. They don't really have anyone else to lean on. They brought in some vets. They brought in Laurentowitz, Marco Parkhurst, guys like that. But there's still question marks there. Um, so it puts that pressure on. As Taylor said, in that city, you want to win early and you want to win often because you don't want people to disappear. You want everyone to stay there, to come through to the new stadium and then try and build something that can build, you know, continue on year after year. And Arthur Blank's been successful in that city in terms of what he's done with the Falcons since he's taken over. But you, there's always question marks. There's going to be pressure. And if things don't work in the beginning, you wonder how much you know Tata has to feel like he has to start to change things up, how much pressure can build. But, um, but I think the expectation right now is that they'll make the playoffs. I don't know if it helps that on the flip side, Minnesota might not be very good. So they'll have that comparison to go off of for the season, but there's definitely more pressure on them than I think expansion teams we've seen since Seattle, I guess you could say. But David, wouldn't you agree that Seattle's time in Major League Soccer when they came in was a lot different? Yeah. And I'm not downgrading what they did, but we've had Orlando City, we've had New York City, we've had Montreal. Look at the expansion teams. Now it's kind of spread out a little bit. I think it's a little difficult to compare what Seattle did and I'm losing track of the year. Was it 09 or 10 yeah. compared to now Atlanta in 2017? I think that's a difficult. I think MLS has grown immensely from in that short period of time. Not only that, but they've set them up better, so they didn't have to pick off the scrap heap of a draft. You know, the expansion draft. That's exactly. the biggest part of this, which is why yep. I think they've built a better team. I think they're better than Orlando and they're better than NYCFC were at this point of their development, but. We still don't know what it's going to look like in four or five months. Hey, just to remind everybody, when it, before NYCFC's first season, people were talking about them, too. There were some people yep. who thought, oh, the NYCFC's going to run, run, you know, David Villa, they're going to kill it. Uh, and they had their struggles. So it's definitely not an easy thing. I'd say with Seattle, obviously it was a different time, fewer teams. But they also brought in Siggy Schmidt off the bat, who, I mean, say what you yep. want, but the guy knew the league. He'd won titles in the league. He'd come off winning a title. So, I mean, and they had and they had owners who were willing to spend. So they they... It, it, they ticked all the boxes in their way, and it, Atlanta's done a good job of that, but it's a little different because because of the fact there's so many of these players haven't played here, haven't lived here, and there's going to be that adjustment period, and you wonder how long that's going to take. The quality will be there. I think they're a team, if anything, I think they're a team. Second half of the season is really going to be a better team, and I... Yeah. I I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, say yet if I think they're gonna, they're, they're on for me. They're kind of on the fringes of getting in the playoffs. It's not a lock, but I think second half they're gonna be a much better team than in the first. And then that's not just because of Guzan, but just as they settle in and learn the league and learn the country. Yeah, Brad Guzan will be joining them during the summer from uh, Middlesbrough once he's finished his contract and his duties there. We're doing what, what I said we weren't gonna do. We're ignoring Minnesota United, <laughs> aren't we? So Taylor. Adrian Heath there, interesting choice of coach, had a, had a chance at Orlando, he's worked in USL before, he's not really like a foreign coach coming in, is he? He's somebody who knows the scene pretty well, but what, what do you make of the roster they've put together there? No, but I, I wonder if Adrian Heath is scarred, and the reason why I say that is just how Orlando City just struggled to defend worth anything, and whether mm. it was injuries, red cards, giving up late goals... And then I look at the Minnesota team, and I don't know if all three of you agree with me on this, but the first thing that pops out to my mind is, can they defend? And I don't know if they can. And at some point, you have to go on the road. You have to be able to defend. They're an exciting team. I think Kevin Molino 
will thrive under Adrian Heath. He'll be more comfortable under Adrian Heath. That's where he wanted to go. They paid an arm and a leg for him, so he, he's got pressure and a target on his back to pull that off. But I look at Taylor, that you team, know what, though? Sorry, real yeah. quick, though, on the Molina thing, because everyone says this. They got Molina in terms of MLS for less than they could get a player like that on the international market, right? So 650000 in GAM, TAM, whatever, the, whatever it is. Well, it's 450000 of GAM money, and that right now equivalates to potentially buying down two designated players if you which, wanted to. Right, which they're Which is massive. Signing. So it, it is, but that's massive, though. I can have, if I can have Notorino as my fifth best player when he's fit and not as a designated player, David, that's a massive amount of money. And three DMs right away told me $450,000 a game for Molino is almost buying down two designated players to open up two designated player spots. Now, obviously, it depends on what you're paying them. I get that. But if Molino's five goals, six assists, David, I, I, listen, oh. that's fine, but now you're, you're not losing. That's a lot of money well, to pay. When Eddie Johnson was 650000 and he was a known entity of scoring 15 goals a year, I'm just, and again, we're arguing about Molino when my whole point is simply this. Can they defend? Because Adrian Heath and that team in Orlando could not defend. Simon, I'm not sure Minnesota's good enough defensively. It's a concern for them, isn't it? Ivers, what do you make of their roster, having a look through who they've brought in? Well, I do want to make a point on the Molino thing. Let's not forget now, expansion teams start off with a mountain of money, right? A mountain of allocation money. So they're so they're they're sitting there with a with a with a platinum card while while everyone else has a check card. It's a little different on that front. And also Minnesota, we know they're not going to go sign designated players, right? So if that's not a concern for them, then I mean, I I can see why they wanted. You know, clearly Adrian wanted Adrian Heath wanted him. And he's his dream player, and he sees big things for him. So I totally get why they did it. I had no problem with it at all. I think, if anything, I feel worse for Orlando, even though I get why Orlando did it, because they, they didn't want him to become a kind of a clubhouse, clubhouse cancer situation. But now they're stuck with, with this money, and at a time of the year, it's tough to find players, uh, an impact player like, like that. So I think Orlando, it, it hurt Orlando more than it helped. Minnesota for me. Back to the defense. I actually think this defense could be okay, and and I, I say that because I like I really like Calvo Francisco Calvo the Costa Rican is very good. I'm hearing great things about uh, about uh, Vadim Davidoff. So right there, your central defense is pretty solid. The fullbacks are a little bit of concern. I'll give you that. But what what I find interesting is a month ago it looked like Minnesota can they really pull this off and build a team in a month when they had so much more to they still had so much to do and they've actually done all right here. They've actually I think the team they've put together is better than most people could have imagined them putting in together. In the Western um, Conference, Ivis. In the I'm Western just, Conference, I'm, you're going to play Jermaine Taylor right back. <laughs> I'm just talking about. Well, no, they signed. They signed the uh, the guy a week ago. Right. The, uh, and who's playing left back? That's all. Uh, my listen. The Western Conference. If you had to pick a team right well, now, uh, finish, if you had to pick a team with the highest odds to finish dead last or second to last, who would you pick? Uh, if you're a I, man. I am absolutely picking them, but at the same time, <laughs> at, but at the same time, I don't think they are going to be the worst team ever. And I've been, I've seen the, I've seen all of the worst teams ever play. I, I've covered some of the worst teams this league has ever seen. Ninety nine Metro Stars, 09 Red Bulls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay, okay. So, well, they're not, they're not going to be that bad. Well, that's all I'm saying. So looking at this team, and and look at, when you look at those two center backs. 
backs and and the defensive midfielder they sign. I, I don't think they're going to be as horrendous defensively as maybe I would people would have thought. I thought they did a good job in building a bit of a spine there. And could could they have, could they be in trouble with their fullbacks? Sure, but let's face it: how many teams in this league have a a really no, good set true. of fullbacks? It's not many. But let me ask you three this. Is is there an asterisk to Minnesota because they got started so late? Because part of me thinks there is. Yes, except that they got started late because of their own reasons. So I don't feel Yeah, but I mean, at least Atlanta knew there was a team for 26, 27 months where Minnesota didn't know until the middle of last, you know, until early last year. Right, yeah, but they still could have gotten this done. They still, they still. No, David, I agree. I'm just wondering, like, how do yeah. how do you how do we assess this? I, I yeah. think it's difficult to assess so, it on the same lines of Atlanta because of that. So and to I what also Ivis, think, be, well, to what Ivis was saying, and the way I see it is, this is a team of a lot of pieces, and I think this year is written off. It, and I think the key for them is to understand where you need to spend your DPs next year and the year you open your stadium. Because like the names Ivis is saying are guys that should be part of a good MLS team, but they should not be the stars. So you have a little bit of a spine. You have a couple dudes that might be good in the attacking midfield role, a one or two solid center mids, maybe a forward in Dunlady or Ramirez, you're not sure. And then you go out next year. So you go out next year and you, you should be able to fill in like what kind of what Chicago is trying to do, those spots where you're like, I 100% need someone here. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I, I just t- think t- you know, t- it goes back to the Molino question, but it also looks at Ramirez. Is it fair to say Ramirez is an unknown entity of some sort? Right, right. Well, t- Taylor, one, one thing I definitely said, I don't know if more time would have changed how this played out, right? Because I think they were they were always going to be playing small stakes in the sense of how they were going to build this team. So I don't know if more time necessarily No, but I No, you're right, Ivis. But all I'm saying is that I'm not sure Christian Ramirez should have been given a $350,000 contract when he's an unknown entity. I know he scored in USL. Well, there's definitely questions there. I'm with you there because him and Ibarra. Because I, even Ibarra, like, Ibarra's not the proven commodity. I mean, I know he went down to Mexico. No. He did a few things, but it, it's going to be a big – that that's they need, they need those guys to be plus MLS players. And it's not a given that they are. I know some people love these guys, and, and it'll be a great story if they do well. I know you got, like, Eric Ronaldo saying Chris, you know, Christian Ramirez is the best American striker in the league or whatever, whatever he said. But I want to see these guys do it. I'm not saying they're not, but – People yes. can't assume that they are going to do it. Yeah, I mean, Ibarra yep. struck me a little bit, not saying he's not a good player because I've seen him play and he's obviously got talent, but that seemed like a fan-pleasing signing a little bit, didn't it? You know, let's go out and bring some No somebody, doubt about it. You know, let's let's look, just look a little bit. We're not going to go through it team by team, obviously, or else we'll be here all night. <laughs> but let's just, let's, and I'm not going to ask you for predictions either because MLS Cup is a playoff <laughs> system and, you know. I will ask you one thing at the end for your dark horses, so you can be thinking about that. Your dark horse pick of a team that will do much, much better than maybe you know people are thinking at the moment. But let's just talk firstly about about the Eastern Conference. Taylor, looking at at that conference, Toronto got to MLS Cup out of it last year. Red Bulls were very, very solid. Do you see those two being the two main ones again? Yeah, Simon, I think it's Toronto's to lose. I think when you've lost in an MLS Cup, and Lord knows the only one on this conversation right now knows exactly what that's about, <laughs> you have a uh, you have a chip on your shoulder of trying to you prove lo- yourself. You, the- lo- you lost you lost an MLS Cup? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I was it- oh, not too many times, only once. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, I just think it's theirs to lose. I think the way they lost at home in front of 40,000-plus penalties, Michael Bradley missed a penalty. I just think it left such a sour taste in their mouth that I, I just think it's Toronto's to lose. Now, do I think the New York Red Bulls have something to prove? Of course they do. You can't put together two regular seasons the way they have and lay an egg in the playoffs the last two years. So I, I do think it's up to those two teams. But I also look at the revolution. If you looked at a roster, and this is how I judge when teams have talent, when you talk to other MLS coaches throughout the year, they immediately bring up four, five, six talented players on the revs that they would like on their team. Now, can Jay Heaps put them together? If they can, and if Juan Agudelo can stay healthy and score more than seven goals a year than, than he has in his career, Kai Kamara gets going. I mean, that's a team that's loaded going forward. Taylor, they how... in two new defenders, but I, I don't know if they can put it together good enough to beat Toronto. Taylor, I... W- are you worried about Kai Kamara? Juan Agudelo was at his best last year playing forward. If Kai's not getting minutes, is he an issue at the, in that team? Uh, Kai, will, I think Kai will play just because it's a great question, David. The, the reason why they'll play Kai is because they paid him. So right. <laughs> it, it, we all know that if Kai's not playing, yes, it, that can be an issue, as any goal scorer that's not playing could be, but I, I, I actually think Jay's going to try to find a way to play Juan Agudelo and Kai Kamara together. I just, you guys look at that team. They're attacking four or five players. It's pretty talented to win in this league. And so I, that could be, Simon, you're asking for a dark horse in the Eastern Conference. I'll give you my dark horse. Is the Revs could have something to say about that Eastern Conference if all those pieces come together. Kawasi's a good defensive midfielder, and they've got two center backs that can play. Interesting. Interesting. Red Bulls, Ives. I mean, I, I did uh, I did, I did the commentary on their CONCACAF Champions League game last week. And by the way, I mean, that's a little bit of experience in doing that. I'll be making no more snarky comments about commentators on Twitter because <laughs> it's a very difficult job, I'll tell you that. But um, watch it, watching it that way, you do watch the game a little bit closer. And and the one thing that struck me, they weren't ready, they, they weren't sharp, neither were Vancouver. But the Red Bulls just seem to have a really good shape where they all know where they're supposed to be. They they all know their roles. It seems to fit together pretty well. And it looked like a team that I thought, if this if this works like it's set up to work, they, they should be a real challenger. Do you agree? I, you know, I tell you what, I'm not I'm not ready to put them in that very, very, very top contender spot just because i think there's some questions there i think how how they deal with dax mccarty's departure is a big one and i know look i like sean davis i think he's a very good player i think tyler adams could absolutely be a star but it's they still have to do it right they have they still have to do it on this level for a season whichever of them ends up winning that job and then it's center back is a big question mark uh aaron long jesse marsh is 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 in love with this kid and and said and is just singing his praises uh, a, a, the USL Defender of the Year. Right. Now, if he plays as well as Jesse Marsh thinks he can play, then yeah, they they definitely have the pieces there. They're, they're for me, they're still top three team in the East, but I don't know for an MLS Cup. I I still need to see those pieces and how those play out. For me, I like NYCFC. I actually like the, what they've done this this winter uh, in terms of the way they built their team, the way they added depth, the way they addressed some of their concerns. I mean, their defense still isn't going to. Uh, be a you know have the the lowest goals against average in the league, but Vieira doesn't care about that. He wants he's okay. He wants his defense to be good enough, and then he wants his attack to just kill you. And that and and I think the pieces that he's added 
to what was already a good attack. I mean, I, I really like what they've done there, and I think they have a real chance to win the whole thing. Mm, interesting. David, who do you see in the East? Uh, I think DC United's a team that I'm interested in. They were a monster at the end of last year. They brought back the exact same team. I thought they needed to add another piece in central midfield. They picked up Ian Harks, who was the best player in college, who I mm. think is ready to play. They went out and they got a Costa Rican a guy in Jose Guillermo Ortiz, who I don't know what he's going to bring, but there's just a possibility of some talent there. So that's a team that I'm interested in, um, and I think it should be fun the last year at RFK. I look at the East, and you just say from last year to this year, I mean, Taylor talks about New England. The team that I hear about from everyone in the league is, is Crew, is Crew SC, is Columbus, and that people are saying last year was a total anomaly and that they're going to be back to two years ago and they're going to be a contender at the top. And I think it's tough to say that this team dropped off so much because there was issues with Kai Kamara or whatever it was and that it's all going to go back to being normal again. But that's the team that I'm hearing about from people around the league that they're saying – Forget last year. This is a team that's going to contend again. They've got a ton of center backs now from having none. Uh, so that's another one to be interested in. Interesting. Uh, I mean, I, I'd say, let me just jump in real quick. TFC, I, I didn't say it, but TFC is my pick there. Oh, I'm, yeah, with, I'm, with, I'm, with, I'm with Taylor on TFC being the team in the East. Uh, as far as the crew, how did they get tougher? Did, did signings that they made make them tougher? That's the big question mark with this crew team. And I heard it from a lot of people around the league is that they're a bit of a soft team. They can knock it around, keep the ball, but they're little. They, you can get into them. You can get in their heads. You can you can get physical with them. And we'll see if these signings help add the edge they need. Because if it does, it doesn't. Then I I don't know how much better they're going to get. And I tell you what, dark horses. DC United is my pick to be a team that actually disappoints this year because I think they're a roller coaster. Oh. They're a roller coaster team. One year they, they do great one year, they they're terrible the next. I think they could actually actually have a really bad year this year. Interesting. Yeah. I mean I saw a bit of the crew last year and, and, and I saw a few games where and there were a number of them where they gave up leads very, very easily and just didn't seem to have, have the fight in them, which, you know, I think is a worrying sign and I'm not sure that's just a, a, a question of signing players, is it? I mean, like you say, a little bit soft. Saw them Orlando just get nasty with them for about 15 minutes in the centre uh, second half of a game and come back from 2-0 down to get a draw. And, and they had a, a bad run of form that knocked them out of it where there were quite a few games like that, I think. Um, just, on, just on Ian Hawks, I haven't seen him play. Um, I'm sure one or all of you guys have done. Uh, I'm always fascinated by the sons, sons of, of, of famous fathers. And you look at someone like Alex Bruce at Hull City who plays exactly like his dad Steve and looks just like him is Ian Hawks a similar player to his dad in, in his style and the position he plays and so on uh <laughs> I'm the oldest guy here I think so I'll I'll I'll, I'll take that one I, I I don't know if there there's I think he's a bit more of an attack minded uh, John Hawks was kind of a complete midfielder he had an edge to him a toughness to him and he could he could do something in the attack I, I think Hawks is a little bit more of a kind of finesse type player. I don't know if he's a year one impact guy. I got to say, I think he's going to, I think he could be a good pro, but if you expect him to step in in year one and, and be, you know, pull the strings, I think that's a little ambitious. I right. think Simon, just interviewing him and talking to him. Um, the, the kid is a well-rounded, well-educated, polite, respectful kid. And, and you look at that and it's difficult because sometimes 
you know, he's going to have a target on his back no matter what. His last name is Harks, and that's just how it is. My father played 10 years. I'm not saying I'm John Harks, and my dad was, but you just, no matter what, growing up, you're an ex-footballer, ex-soccer player's son. I just was very, just, it, it was refreshing to speak to Ian, to watch him play. He loves the game. Uh, you root for guys like that because yeah. everyone else wants to root against them, and I think that's just... That's what has impressed me. First off, he's a great soccer. He's a very good soccer player. He was easily the best player in college. And when you talk to Ben Olsen from preseason, and they just say everything comes naturally to him, but then you talk to him, it's just uh, that's what's refreshing to me. And you just secretly root for that because there's, you know, he's probably had it against him a little bit, you know, growing up. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's t- it's tough. It's tough being a, a famous father's son in in sport. I think there's a lot of cases of uh, you know people I played against in in, in other sports as well who, who had to deal with that, and some did well with it, and some some really struggled with it. I mean, Paul Dalglish can can talk for hours about that topic. It's it's a difficult one. But let's let's switch to the Western Conference then quickly. Um, I'm sensing a little bit of a buzz about Vancouver Whitecaps. Um, not just because of Freddie Montero, but that is that is a really impressive signing from them, isn't it? Are they are they are they up there this year, Taylor? What's your thoughts on the West? It's a it's an interesting one. Um, I look at the and I know I'm. It sounds like I'm chickening out, but I, I look at Seattle, Simon. I, I just you know if their depth of the team is Harry Ship, Will Bruin, and Clint Dempsey comes back healthy. Uh, you know, now you throw in a full season and Nicholas Ladero and he, the, the strength of winning last year, the confidence. I look at them kind of one of those teams where it's like, well, they won last year with Ozzy Alonso on one leg, no Clint Dempsey. They had those two guys. You add Will Brew and Harry Ship. I think that's an interesting team. Vancouver, I just can't figure out Vancouver. Do they really need Breck Shea, another wide player? You know, Freddie Montero is obviously going to make them a better team. I, I just I can't figure them out. I couldn't figure them out last year. And in this offseason, when I look at the roster, I'm sit there. I, I'm still shaking my head. I if you're asking me to bet on Vancouver, I cannot. If you're asking me to bet on Seattle, I'm 100 percent in. But guys, when was the last time you went into a regular season not really wor- not really talking about what LA is going to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I mean, I was just looking through the ins and outs and everything, and, and the LA one is is pretty incredible when you go through the list of of players who've uh, who've departed there. I mean, it's you know Robbie Keane, Landon Donovan, Stephen Gerrard, and then it, you know Leon, Leandro. It's it's a, it's an incredible list, and they don't seem to have really brought in anywhere near that level of talent at all. No, Ivers. No, I agree. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting situation there because you you've spent the, however many years it's been now get, getting used to them having the biggest name players and ha, and having the, the the best team the scariest team and now it's they're in complete rebuild mode and and i i, I you know they're not scary anymore and it, it, it's a new era you just wonder how Curtinoff was going to handle that uh the allison drini signing i could take it or leave it it's a big year for a guy like Gio dos santos because i mean he's the guy now he has to play at an extremely high level on a consistent basis. And I, for me, I don't think he's been consistent enough. I think he's a guy who now has to bring it every Agreed. game and be an MVP caliber player every game. He can't just have a good month. He can't just have a good couple weeks and then disappear for a month, which is what he's done for a long since he's been in L.A. So, if, if And if he isn't bringing it every game, they're going to struggle. 
They're going to really, I think they're going to really, I think they struggle by their standards. For me, FC Dallas is the team of the beat in the West. I think they're going to, I think they're going to be amazing. Um, Think about, you know, the Coleman signing. Diaz will be back later in the year. Uh, I I like everything they've done. And and I think this is the year that they're going to, I mean, they put it all together last year almost. And I think they're going to be right there again this year. I agree. I agree with that one. Yeah. David? Um, I'm pretty high on FC Dallas. I think they were the best team last year. They lost Diaz, but they replaced, you know, Castillo finally. Hernan Grana was like a stud at Columbus and just got homesick. Now they bring him in at right back, which wasn't even a position I think they had to upgrade. And they did. Kellen Acosta's, I think, more comfortable in that central midfield. They finally got a center forward in Coleman. Let's say Coleman isn't as good as we expect. If it's even another Maxi Ruti, then they're a better team than they were last year. So I think everything about them is exciting. I don't understand Vancouver, and you're not the first person to be high on them. I talked to Hercules Gomez yesterday. He's really high on them. I don't know where that comes from. They weren't good last year. They got Freddie Montero, but they still haven't replaced what Pedro Morales brought to them. They don't really fit together. They have some decent experience on the back line, but I just think right now they're kind of an average team, and I think it's just Seattle and FC Dallas out in front. If L.A. didn't have the injuries... If Zardes, Ashley Cole, and Robbie Rogers were ready to go, I'd be fine with L.A. Because I think Giovanni Dos Santos, what Ivis was talking about, which I fully agree with last year, I think a large part of it was he has to play in his specific type of position and his style. And it was Keane's team still and Gerard's team. And then Landon came in and it wasn't all fit together. I think Zardes running off in front of him, giving him space to operate, good wingers around him and athleticism behind him would have fit. But they have injuries, and you know Jermaine Jones is going to get hurt at some point. So it starts to feel like maybe this is a lost year for them, and they try and make things fit together and get ready to go next year. Yeah, and the problem with Dos Santos is you look at it's not just last season, though, is it? It's his entire club career. You know, I mean, he's done these great moments. You put a highlights reel of Giovanni Dos Santos's career together, and most of it's going to be in a green jersey, isn't it? I mean, he just hasn't, you know, in England he didn't do it, in Spain he didn't do it. The talent's there, but he's got to deliver a consistent performance, as Ivy's was saying, which is something he's just never done. Right, let's finish off. We've gone over our time here. Um, dark horse picks. We've had one or two mentioned already, but who do you think? I'm going to start off with one for once. Um, I'm going to say Chicago Fire are going to surprise a few people this year. I, th- I like what uh, Paunovic has done, bringing in some players. Nikolic, I think... Um, is a player who, it's been incredible. My friends in Hungary, uh, where I used to live, have been bombarding with messages and sharing pictures of Chicago Fire pre-season highlights, videos and stuff. It's been, <laughs> But um, he is a player, he's an interesting one, isn't he? Because he's a player who, you know, he's playing in the Champions League, he played in the European Championship, he was offered a deal, by all accounts, by Hull City. You know, so he fits into that category. He's not a sexy signing by any means, but he, he can score goals. He's a good centre-forward. So I, th- I think, you know, looking at their roster, they might might be certainly be better than what they have been anyway, let's put it that way. But Dark, dark Horses, um, Taylor, anyone stand out from... Yeah, you took, Simon, you took mine, and I think it's because Janino and Dax McCarty uh, into that roster mm. brings players, two players that know what it takes to win, two players that are in the spine of your team, and I, I'm with you. I think also with so many question marks in the Eastern Conference and that always being a little bit of a crapshoot, I think if you had to pick a dark horse, I think you naturally would go to to the Eastern Conference, and I, I'm with you. I think Chicago could could make the playoffs and actually have a pretty good regular season here. Ives, 
Uh, I'll give you two teams. Uh, one, and it, Philly was a playoff team last year, so I mean, how much of a darker star are they? But I think I don't think people are giving them enough credit for what the moves that they made. I, th- I think they quietly made some pretty good moves uh, to their to their roster. And look, they're limited in terms of what they can spend. We know they don't have the deep pockets like some other teams, but I think they've been smart. And I think Ernie Stewart's been really smart with how he's built this team over the last two winters. And I think this team that they have now, especially with those younger guys getting a year older, Blake, Rosenberry, Herbers, a Yarrow when he comes back, uh, and then with the pieces that they've added, I think they're a team that could really surprise. And in a team in the West who people have kind of forgotten about is Portland. I mean, they just won it two years ago, uh, right. but I think they're a team with some of the signings that they've made. Uh, I, re- I really feel like they've addressed some of the needs that they had uh, that they had going into the offseason. Uh, Blanco, obviously, is a, is a great signing for them, and, and I think they've definitely bolstered their midfield as well. So uh, I think for me, Portland, I think they could be right back in it, right near the top, and, and maybe they could pull off another surprise title run. Yeah, I have a stole mine, so I'm out. <laughs> You're out, are you? Yeah, Portland was mine. <laughs> okay, fair nice. enough. No, it'd be interesting to see uh, your Blanco and Valeri, who were teammates, of course, at San Lorenzo. And when we had the MLS Media Day um, a, a month or so ago, uh, Diego Valeri was speaking very highly of Blanco. We hadn't signed him at that stage, and he was really, really pushing that deal, wasn't he? But it's going to be fascinating. It's always an exciting time of the year. Guys, thanks very much indeed for joining me on the Soccer File. It's been a really, really interesting discussion. Great start to the season to look forward to this weekend. And uh, thanks again, everyone. Enjoy the soccer. Thanks, guys. No problem, boys. Yeah, my thanks there to Taylor Twalman of ESPN, David Gass of MLSsoccer.com, and Ives Galachep of Gold.com and Soccer by Ives for that fascinating discussion on MLS. It all gets underway this weekend, all the usual television channels. Hope you're going to enjoy watching that, as well as all the international football from around the world. And we'll be back to international topics in our next edition of the Soccer File, which you can catch, of course, by subscribing on iTunes, Google Music Play, SoundCloud, everywhere where you can get podcasts we are these days. And also keep an eye on my Twitter feed, at SG Evans, for all the latest updates. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Have a great weekend and enjoy your soccer.